Welcome to the Pastors Standing Firm Podcast. My name is Jeremiah. I'm here with a couple of my great friends, and we're going to get into a topic today that I believe is going to inspire and challenge you. Brian, introduce our guest. We are here with a good friend and an awesome man of God. Uh, he's been a big brother to me and cheered me on. Pastor Rusty Rayleigh, pastor of JFA.Church, Joliet First Assembly, and uh, also has been a youth pastor and many other things in ministry. Rusty, would, why don't you just tell us some about yourself before we get into it? Are you married? Do you have kids? Um, are you homeless? Do you have a house? You know. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, it's great to be with you. Thanks, Jeremiah and Brian. These are some phenomenal leaders that I have an honor to hang out with for just a few moments. But as Brian mentioned, uh, uh, my name's Rusty, and uh, I've done just about everything uh, in the church. And uh, uh, we're just grateful to pastor a great church here in the Joliet Chicagoland area a part of with our great friends here, just working to build the kingdom of God. But yep, I'm married, just celebrated 21 years of marriage, there and she still go. she still likes me. <laughs> and uh, we've got two kids. I got a 12-year-old and a 7-year-old, both are girls, and uh, we're just loving life and uh, just enjoying everything that life has and everything life doesn't have. We're just enjoying it. So Rusty, if you don't know this, can crush a golf ball. I mean, <laughs> absolutely destroy it. It is just not even fun playing with him because it, he just... He just crushes it. The sad thing is I might be a better golfer than I am a pastor. I don't know. I don't know. Let's not. Uh... Y'all are the reason I quit golf altogether. <laughs> well, we're here today to encourage you, to build you up, to get you ready for another season of ministry. And Rusty's a fantastic leader. He's a, a great Bible teacher, and he really focuses on really equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry is kind of what his heart is. And really, we want to have a conversation surrounded around that, about how to properly equip your people through teaching the word faithfully. And Rusty, you've kind of got some thoughts that you were sharing with us earlier, and I want you to kind of expound on it a little bit. Yeah, and where this came from, Jeremiah, was, uh, you know, as when that pandemic hit us all and all of us were in the same boat, what do we do? How do we do it? I just felt like the Lord spoke to my heart to stay steady, but equip the people even stronger than what I was already passionate about. And I remember the Lord showed me in Daniel chapter 3, um, you all know the story with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And it's a common story in the book of Daniel. We knew it as kids. And, but I was like, Lord, he, he brought me back to that. And I just simply was just pondering it one morning. And uh, all of us know what it's like to come under fire, right? But the Lord showed me that Nebuchadnezzar got so angry, he turned it up seven times hotter. And I really wow. felt impressed of the Lord to teach the people, we're all under fire, but now the fire is going to get seven times hotter. So mm. how do we walk in that? And so what I love to do is, is, is I try to convince our congregation, the enemy's not a creator, only God's a creator. So therefore, his ways of doing things are the same. Just look at the book. God gave us, give us, he gave us the book, the Word of God, and we can see how the enemy works and so what, we, what I try to do is reverse, reverse engineer it. Let's see how he creates strongholds. So what's the prescriptive nature of a stronghold? Reverse it, and you can see how to put strongholds in your life that are good. And then you can unpack that which is bad. So I found that there are three, in my opinion, um, tactics that the enemy uses against us, against the people of God, against people that are even brand new to the faith that come into our church, especially in our current culture, with the pressure and uh, the relativism, uh, consumerism, hedonism, all the isms, right, that are really coming down at our people and even those that are 
uh, new to the faith. So there are three things that I think that the enemy really uses to keep us in what I call the drag effect. Like we're dragging things in from our past and we're bringing things in from our upbringing. And so those three things that I've discovered, uh, the first one is just, uh, just Christians don't think. They just don't. They don't ever ask themselves, why am I doing this? Mm. Am I doing this because I'm told to do this? Or am I... They don't ever ask, the, what does God say about it? They just, they just don't ever think. It's just like thoughtlessness. Mm. It's like they don't... Like they don't ask yourself, why do I have this hiccup? Uh, I've been working with people now for 24 years, and um, some people, I, I say they have this invisible wall. They do so good, and then all of a sudden they hit this invisible wall. And they never ask, why does this keep happening in my life? Or why do I have this belief in my life? So at the church, a lot of times we like to correct behavior, which is like, you know, our kids do something, we smack their hand, right? I don't, I don't know if we're allowed to say that. <laughs> you know, or you just say, don't do it, right? We do that with church people too, right? We do that in our own life, right? And if nobody ever goes to the belief system, the behavior just manifests somewhere else. Mm. So I, I, I try to encourage our congregation, don't check your brain at the door. Don't check your brain at the door. And don't just believe everything you're being told. Study. You study. You study. And the second thing I, I found that is a, just a killer the enemy uses is our context. You know, we're all a creature of our context. We, you know, up until you said yes to Jesus, you were shaped by your context. Probably the easiest way, and I'm not a very deep person, but the, the uh, easiest way to unpack the context one is the story, and I call it the great theological story, the ugly duckling, right? And uh, it, 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 the problem wasn't that the the swan was ugly. The problem was the swan wasn't a duck. And I think believers, Christ followers, even new people to the church, they come in with their context, and then their context becomes their lenses to the, how they see everything. This is how we get into the garbage that we're in right now. People bring their context in, and then they want to put the Word of God through their context. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where we get the whole, well, that can't be because God's a God of love. Well, wait a minute. God is love, but love is not God. Right. It's a big difference. Yeah. Big yep. difference. And because I, you, we, we have re, redetermined the word love in our culture a hundred times. Oh, right. yeah. And, and the minute we say something, we say, oh, that can't be God because God's love, right? No, what they're saying is my love is God, not God is love. Wow. Big difference. Mm-hmm. So context. And so, again, the ugly duckling, the swan wasn't ugly. It wasn't a duck. And helping people understand Context, how you came up is a lie. You are who God says you are. Yeah. You can possess what God says you can possess, and you can be what God says you can be regardless of context. And then the third thing that is my ultimate favorite that I have totally seen, and you guys will, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking of the choir here. Right. I call it learned helplessness. John In John chapter 4, I believe it is, um, uh, it could be John chapter 3. You guys are smarter than me. You can correct me. Uh, Jesus encounters the man at the pool of Bethsaida, right? I think it's John 5. John 5. Thank you. See, I told you. So, And uh, he comes to him, and I know he was there for 38 years, right? He's been paralyzed for 38 years, right? And my favorite part, and I'd never seen this before until about two years ago, Jesus comes with a different option. And the man rehearses why he can't receive the option yeah. that Jesus has for him. Yeah. And it mm-hmm. hit me. So many times, and we're dealing with this in our world right now, we're saying as pastors, leaders, hey, we, God has a different way, a different plan. And they immediately go, but I can't because. And they rehearse what the enemy has lied to them. Wow. Mm-hmm. I can't change because this is that, or this is what I was told, or every time I do, this is what happens. 
And this man mm. that was sitting there for 38 years, he rehearses back to Jesus. Remember, mm. he wasn't blind and he wasn't deaf. And everybody there was talking about this son of David, this, this Jesus that does miracles. And here he stands in front of him and he offers him a different way. And the man rehearses why he can't do what Jesus wants him to do. Wow. It's called mm. learned helplessness. And I, and I thought to myself, mm. and I, I asked my congregation, where have you learned to coexist with failure or hmm. coexist with sin or wrongdoing or even culturally? Where have we just learned to accept it because everybody else has? It's learned helplessness. Wow. And what happens is, is if we don't think, then our context just takes over like muscle memory. Then we bleed context into our Christian walk, and it creates learned helplessness. And now we've got believers who don't know the Word of God who don't want to know the Word of God. I remember in a many, uh, y'all remember this, I, when, the, when the riots took off, right? And I, I remember just being blown away because I'd have conversations with people, and they would literally look at me like, the Bible doesn't count right now. That God's okay with this evil. God's okay with this violence. Right. And I would say back to them, wait a minute, that's not what Jesus said. And, I would, and they would look, I mean, these are, these are high-level leaders in our church, and they would say, no, 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 no. And I was like, well, how'd they get there? Right. They took their context. Mm-hmm. The, real, the current reality of racism superseded the truth of God's word. 100%. And, so, and it was context. It was how they either they came up or something had shaped that context that allowed them to learn something that created this, this coexisting mentality, and they refused to think anymore. They mm-hmm. refused to, you know, the word of God is not here. The word of God is equal to them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where it came from, but I think... For me as a pastor, uh, I know these last two years have been a nightmare for all every pastor. I mean, I just read a report, the first quarter report that comes out, and I just read it, and, and everybody's on the decline, and I get it, I'm 33% down and blah, blah, blah. And I don't, I don't like subscribe to that. That's the way it's going to always be. Mm-hmm. But all of us, I mean, the last couple of years, it's been a nightmare, right? And, uh, but I actually think it's been, there's a silver lining there. I actually think COVID was the great revealer. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I was coming in in 2019. We had all the bells and whistles hitting. I mean, we had momentum, and I probably had muscle memory. I probably got comfortable. I mean, it, it was like we were breaking records, and then all this happened, and I started to see what I probably would have missed. Yeah. And so I actually said, Lord, thank you for this, yeah. because it made me go back and go, we need to get back to the foundations mm-hmm. and equip. We're, <laughs> we're, t- we're telling our congregation to go to battle, and the enemy's laughing because he sees them spiritually naked. Wow. He's like, bring it on, you know, because context, learned helplessness, just thoughtlessness amongst the believers. And these are three things I think the enemy keeps, and in, in, in it's like his hidden tactics. Mm-hmm. And I think these three things, if we could learn these things, it'll reverse the effect of a stronghold. So as you're confronting these issues with your people, you're teaching them the word to say, hey, believe in God, repent of where you've been deceived and where you've been living in lies and repent, come to faith in Jesus, allow, allow him to penetrate. Like, how do you, how do you gently restore someone who's been in that place? Like, like what are your thoughts as you're developing your messages and you're thinking about your illustrations? Like, what are you kind of processing that you're saying, okay, if I'm in their shoes, this is how it's going to sound to them. And so I want to make sure that I'm presenting this truth in a way where the enemy's lies is completely uncovered and exposed, but still build them up to where it's not feeling like, okay, I can't do that. Like, how do you empower people with faith? 
Well, the first thing I realize is a rebuke is only as deep as a relationship. And uh, so I know I don't have a relationship with, good. With, with the entire crowd. Both services, I just don't. So I've learned something. I feel like I, I, I'm constantly saying, Lord, thank you for this opportunity. I remind myself and I tell my congregation, I'm just the donkey he's riding on right now. And if for some reason I choose to not go any further, he's just going to get a different donkey. I'm not mm. that special. Mm. And I tell my congregation that. So I, I've often felt the best way to lead is let them lead and journey through me. And so when I unpacked this a couple Sundays ago, um, and I, two Sundays ago, I, I started talking about strongholds, and I, and I need to come back to it. I tiptoe into subjects, and then I come back to subjects. Um, I don't think there can be a steady, in my opinion, and I'm, I'm a nobody, but in my opinion, I don't think there is a, you can't have a steady diet of if I'm going to come at them and I'm going to teach and I'm going to push hard. I don't do it steadily. I'll go one service and I'll come back to another one, then I'll revisit it because I watch how people receive. But I, I think the best way for me, in my opinion, is to let people to see my, how it happened. So I unpacked them how I had a fear of dogs and how context and how all that works. And I remember growing up and my brother saying the dog, you know, next door is awesome. So we'd go out, we, we weren't allowed to have dogs as a kid, right? And so we would go out and feed the dog. You can never get out of the fence, we feed the dog. And then all of a sudden my brother played a trick on me the next day and he said, the dog bit the neighbor. And I was like, I didn't know that. So I didn't see it. So I'm believing that, right? So I go home and then I ask my dad about dogs biting. And he tells me, he said, you know, if you get bit by a dog, you might get rabies. You might get tetanus. And then all of a sudden you get rigidity of the muscles and start having, and I go to bed with that. Because what happens with context is it goes to your imagination. Your imagination is the most powerful thing God gave you, yeah. I believe. And by the time I woke up the next morning, I thought the dog had rabies. I never went near the dog again. And then what happened was growing up, every time I saw a dog, I always thought that dog wanted to bite me. And that's how I had a stronghold. So when I taught through that, everyone chuckled, but then it turned on a light. They go, oh, wow, these are why I have some of my fears. Mm. You're only born with two fears in your life. There's 20... 2,000, 3,000, some odd fears. The rest are learned, right? Mm -hmm. And so how are they learned? If we realize how the enemy gets them in, we know how to get them out. And so I, I taught through my weakness, my fear. And everyone chuckled, but then I had people email me, people talk to me in the hallway, and they're like, boy, that makes sense. Now I know why I've had three divorces. I had mm. one family tell me that. Now I know why I'm so fearful that my kids are going to be abused because I was abused. Mm -hmm. And the light turned on. I didn't have to beat them with a stick and shove it down their throat, I feel like if I show my weakness, if I show my, my issue, and they can chuckle, then they go, that makes sense. Yeah. And now they know where it comes from. I think half the battle is knowing where it's coming. Mm. If you know where it's coming, then you can shore up a defense, right? And so for me, I just think, in my opinion, for my current location, the people, uh, we have a, just a great population of former Catholics and and we're always running into people that, I, I love it because most of our congregation are either former Catholics or they're far from faith. I have a smattering of churched people, and, uh, and that's wonderful. Uh, all of us have churched people. Sometimes church people uh, <laughs> are the best, right? Um, but I run into people that don't know the language, right? And so I feel like if they can see that I have chinks in my armor, I think it gives them hope, and it also lets their guard down. And I think when they let the guard down, then I think the Holy Spirit goes to work. Yeah. 
Well, that's what Paul did. I yeah. mean, he said, I'm the worst of all sinners. I'm yeah. the chief of all sinners. You know, he said, hey, what I'm doing is, because I'm not perfect yet, I'm forgetting what's behind and I'm Absolutely. straining towards what is ahead. Mm-hmm. You know, he's saying, this is how I'm working out my faith with fear and trembling. 100%. And this is how you ought to do it as well. So I think that's a very, very biblical way of handling it. And teaching. if they can laugh at me, um, you know, the great theologian Mary Poppins says, a little <laughs> sugar helps the medicine go down. Yeah. And so if they can laugh at me and go, man, if he can have that thing happen, what about me? And, and I've just felt like it's just been a, a key thing that it works for me. It doesn't work for everybody, but it works for me, works for those around me. I, I lead the staff the same way. Um, and I could be completely wrong. I'm sure there's great leaders. You guys probably have a different way of doing things, and I probably should let you guys tell me so that I could learn and adapt. But I, I just think that's what's working right now for our current movement of people and in our current situation. Um, And I tell our congregation all the time, unlearning is your greatest superpower. Mm. Um, Because, and then I I don't tell them to go do that because there's so many former Catholics. Boy, you tiptoe into that, you know. Um, But I I tell them, I said, you know how many things I've had to unlearn that I had wrong? And I said, oh, by the way, when we get to heaven, we're going to have a lot of stuff wrong. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I think that helps them go, because right now, they are getting bombarded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything you turn on, social media, television. It's crazy. I mean, neighborhood conversations, everything is just coming at you like a fire hydrant. I know. And it's not, it's not coming at you like what if, it's dogmatic coming at you. Yeah. So it's coming at you as absolutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 how to raise your kids and what your kids are even what they're doing in our schools I know. blows my mind. It's crazy. And what they're trying to slip under the radar and you know, and then if you if parents raise a stink, you get arrested. I mean, r- really, in my mind, I'm like, we are marching down, uh, headed towards some uh, a final moment. But I, I think the silver lining is, I don't think he's coming back for a broken church. That's right. I think mm-hmm. he's coming back for a church that, that's in a great, great movement, awakening, yeah. a moment where, but again, we've got spots and wrinkles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, like I tell the congregation all the time, God got them out of Egypt, but he told them to get the Egypt out of them. That's right. It's our responsibility. So I think as pastors, my job is try to get the Egypt out of folk. That's good. So that we mm-hmm. get ready. So when he does come back, we aren't full of blemishes and fighting each yeah. other and, mm-hmm. you know, just doing ignorant things, yeah. really. Yeah. So, so that's what, you know, you, I'm attempting to do. I've, and I think one of the solutions you offered was maybe even your first point, think critically. Absolutely. So much of the church doesn't do that. Why do you think that is? You know, I think my opinion, my opinion, and I, I'm a PK, so I, I'm biased. I want to throw that out there. Um, I, I only, I, I laughingly tell our congregation all the time, you know, back in the day when fathers would get a gift at Father's Day to having the youngest child. You remember those days you'd, if you came up in church, you'd, they'd make you stand up. If you had, I was born on a Saturday and I'm, I'm a Father's Day baby because I'm June 17th. And my dad had me in church the next that day. That was my son's birthday, my oldest son's birthday. See, that's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. But like, so he had me in church the next day because, and I told the congregation, I, I don't know if I've missed church since, to be honest <laughs> with you. Because in our day growing up, when you were sick, you went to church. Mm. Now that's opposite now. You can't go down that path. So, you know, to answer your question, I'm biased, but I think for a decade, maybe 20 plus years now, I call it the mushy middle. Church has become the mushy middle. Uh, most people, we backed off 20 years ago because we wanted to have, you know, we didn't like homogeneity. 
we wanted to have just a, you know, a multiple smattering. We want everyone to come. And I get that. We threw the big net out there. Mm-hmm. We did all that we could to get them in. I understand all that. Build the big buildings. We changed music. These are all powerful things. I'm not knocking these things. But in doing so, I don't know if for the last 20 years, the generation, the Xers that now have millennials and Zs, I don't know if they know what they stand for. So, but what generation does in moderation, the next one does in excess. So for 20 plus years, people that were in church don't know why they were in church. So I think that they have now come to church and it's more like if I fit it in, it's cool because it's really not going to do anything for me. I already have my worldview based off of what the television tells me or what my college told me. So now I come to church as an add-on, not a Mm -hmm. nucleus of, right? Not a centrality moment. So, and I think it's the church is to blame because for 20 years or 15, 20 years, we have created the mushy middle. And I think some of the problems we have right now, in my opinion, is because we have weakness in the church because nobody told them to have a backbone 20 years ago. Boom, mic drop. So in my opinion, by the way, I, I mean, I'm a PK. This is what I saw growing up because, man, you go back to my dad's day, and we, I joke, my dad was a pastor, and I got saved every service. Yeah. He preached hell, hell so hot, my nose hairs, you know, <laughs> I could feel it. And I, I'll never forget, I was, I was out to lunch uh, maybe a year ago, uh, with uh, one of the state attorney generals in our area, right? Hmm. And he doesn't attend our church. And, and he said to me, he said, <laughs> it was weird. I caught me by surprise. He goes, if you'd preach on hell more, I wouldn't have the problems I had. Hmm. Wow. And I thought he was joking. I went over to lunch thinking, and I, I kept pondering, I kept hearing him in my head. And I'm not saying we need to go back to hellfire and brimstone. I, I think that was also taken to the opposite, farthest extreme that right. you should go. Right. But I'm saying is, I don't know if, for the last 15, 20 years, we've created a backbone of courage or strength or here's the where I draw the line and I'm standing on this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we read all the data. There's, there's biblical literacy running rampant in our churches. Well, why? It isn't the people's fault. It's because we have created a mushy middle. We've created jellyfish Christianity, yeah. you know. And so I, when, did, when did you feel like you were able to escape that? Because... For me, I've come to a realization, we were talking to Pastor Gary Grogan a few episodes ago, and I told him, I was like, the pandemic revealed, like you said, it's the great revealer. It revealed Mm -hmm. to my heart, God showed me, like, you're not leading in a way that you need to be leading. And, and I got I got really, really convicted, and I still am. I mean, oh. I am. I, I preached this message this past Sunday out of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and Paul says that, that I'm, I'm, I'm simplicity and godly sincerity. And he says, in the sight of God. And it's this, this phrase, in the sight of God, he yeah. keeps repeating this. And it's, it's literally, he says, I, I've, I'm, I'm walking among you with fear and trembling. Like he keeps this mentality that says, God's watching me and I'm speaking on his behalf as though God were making his appeal through me. I'm Christ the ambassador. Yeah. And he's like, I'm terrified because he's watching me. And there are other people who are peddlers of God's word. They do it for profit. Yeah. And he's saying, I am absolutely taken. And, and that's where in my heart, I'm just, I'm just, I'm like, oh my goodness, Lord. Yeah. Like these, this, this is your people. Like this is, I'm supposed to be washing them with the water of the word. And so that they can be ready for your return. And we've been just doing cute little message series and, you know, all these things and I'm just caught up by it. So was there an escape point for you from that? Were you ever caught up in that? And how have you escaped that? And what's been kind of your mindset since then? Absolutely. I um, probably like all of us, 
it 2020 hit, right? And we were on Zoom and I was on so many Zoom meetings. In every Zoom meeting I was on, the Lord privileged me to be on some with some really great, and I won't name names, but great leaders. And, but I would get, I would come out of that depressed because everybody was system, system thing. And, and it was like, they're all good. Nothing wrong with systems, nothing wrong with things, nothing wrong with even the, the business side of things and what to do, how to pivot, how to prepare. And it was always gloom and doom. And we got to do this because this is never coming back. And it was very, very depressing. Yeah. And I remember studying, um, and I remember just just spending some time just studying the life of Moses. And and what caught my attention, and this was the pivoting moment in 2020 for me, uh, was, you know, Caleb was the heir apparent. Had to have been. He was the one, 12 spies. He was one of the two that came back, and he got angry. Like, no, we're going to do this. We can do this. He's 85-plus years old, Takes wants to take the mountain. He's got the DNA of Moses. He's got the strength. He's probably choleric. He's just type A. But God chose Joshua. And I, and I thought to myself, well, I wonder why. I've always thought, I wonder why. Because there's not a real, like, he didn't put them up there together and say, the people choose. We do. It wasn't a democracy in those days. But he chose Joshua. And the Lord took me, I think it's in Exodus 33, and the Lord showed me when Moses invited them to go in to the tent of meeting, he would go in and the Lord would speak to him. And then he would leave to go tell the people. But it says very close, real quick, it says, but yet Joshua stayed. And the Lord whispered to me and said, he loved my presence. I pick him. Mm. And I remember going, all these other things are wonderful. I'm not anti, if you got around me, you'd know. I'm big into systems, but, I'm more, I, but my value system says, I got to know his heart. It's all about presence. That's my value. I, I, all these other things are great, but all these things won't happen if I don't get this right. If I don't hear his voice, and, and I'll tell you another illustration. The Lord has to speak me through silly things, and the word of God's not silly. He sp- spoke, and I was like, okay, Lord. But then practically, during the lockdown, you know, all we, were, we were all doing honeydew lists, right? That's fix this, fix that. Well, if you know me, I can't fix diddly squat. <laughs> I, I, I can't even hang a picture straight. So we're putting, there's lights on top of our cabinets. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go up. I don't really do ladders that well. I'm not that good. I don't, I'm not, I don't have any tools either. I have to go to the church and take tools. So I went to the church, borrowed some tools and I'm going to go up there. So I get them all ready. I put the ladder up against the cabinet because it goes up, you know, it's probably 12 feet in the air. So I'm going to go up and I'm going to fix that light on top. And I get all the way up with everything. And I look and I put the ladder up against the wrong cabinet. (laughs) And I brought everything I had with me. And I felt like the Lord said, be careful what cabinet or what wall you put your ladder up against. Because mm. you can go all the way up and get to the very top and realize that's the wrong wall. Dang. That's the wrong cabinet. Mm-hmm. And this was at the same time. And I'm thinking, oh, man, because all these Zoom meetings during 2020 was say, do this, do that, do that. So yep. I came out of that going, I'm, those are all great. And I'm not by any means, because I was on some wonderful ones. And if anybody listens and thinks, well, he's just being a arrogant jerk. I'm not. I really received a lot. I grew a lot, took a lot of notes, but I realized the cabinet I have to put my ladder up against, the wall, I got to get his presence Mm. Mm because I'm not that sharp. Mm. I'm not, I'm not, listen, listen, I was born at night, not last night, and I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I just, I have to get the ladder right. And I made a choice and went back to our congregation and we just said, we're going to stay steady. We're going to focus on presence, Mm. presence, presence. And I feel like that has been the sustainer 
we do have all the other things and the you programs. got all the other things i've yeah. seen your place dude and i'm telling you you're a fantastic leader so if the presence of god is telling you to do all that stuff man i mean because you guys just got it all the systems you're very kind. <laughs> i mean your kids pastor wrote an article i saw in the influence magazine yeah. and if you're not assemblies of god that's kind of the assemblies of god official publication that replaced the pentecostal evangel and i mean you guys are are doing it man i mean you got a well the key there is hire people smarter than you <laughs> and and so I feel like our whole team, when I get in meetings, I'm, I don't even know why I'm there. And so, but again, my heart is, I just want to lead people. And I feel if we get them back into the presence, I think we can speak to things then. Mm. I think if we get them into the presence, I think they're more open. It's like the presence massages their heart almost. That sounds weird. Yeah. But, but prepares the ground. I tell people all the time, the ground is more important than the seed. Yeah, I could, I could have the greatest seed in the world and throw it out in your parking lot right there, and we'll all go stare at the seed because that seed won't do anything. The ground is more important than the seed, and the ground is our heart. If we don't get the heart ready, I don't care what comes from the pulpit. I don't care what program you have going on down the hall. I don't care what great communicator you bring in. If the ground's not ready, we need the presence. Presence, wow. presence, presence changes the ground. It changes everything. And so we just chose, and I know we're all in the same boat, and I'm not trying to get a pity party, but preaching to an empty building how discouraging that was, mm-hmm. how defeating that was, and how, like, I really feel like it was good for me. Because I thought to myself, nobody's going to come back. But I always heard the Lord say, you don't need everybody. You just need me. Mm-hmm. And that's where I came back to. And to be honest with you, all of us, I didn't, I didn't think anybody's coming back with all that we especially here in Illinois. God yeah. bless the great <laughs> state of Illinois. <laughs> I, I never thought anybody would come back because... I mean, just, what was it, yesterday? They lifted them. We were the last state it's, to have a... It's literally man, like the, the pandemic science, all yeah, of a sudden yeah. just ended. Thank just, you, science, yeah. for changing. Just, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think there was a speech that helped change science. Last I don't night. know what you're talking about, Rusty. I, but. Don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't know either. I just, <laughs> okay, so uh, this is a great conversation, and I, I know people are being encouraged. Okay, so you're, you're looking at 2022, okay? It's, yeah. it's March. We're looking at 2022, Okay. There's all kinds of stuff that people are being fed. I mean, the world has endless messages that it's sending, regardless of the topic. They just got an opinion on everything. And it's very difficult to get people to stop. Just stop for a second, okay? Just take all of the world off right now. Come into the presence of the Lord. Hear the word of God. Mm -hmm. What do you feel like is ways that you're able to help people Stop. Just stop for a second. Stop. Listen, they don't care about you. They they act like they care about you, but their message at its core is self-centered, self-serving. It is not helping you. Here, I'm going to give you something that's designed to help you. It's here to help you lay aside your burdens and your fears and your cares and your worries and your doubts. This is what's going to actually cure those things that have been placed on you, these burdens that the world has placed on you. How do you feel like in the context of today's culture, you're able to empower people to stop and listen to what God says? Why? Well, that is a great question. Um, that's just, I think that's a complex question, to be honest with you. I I don't know if I have the answer of how I, I, I just think we, 
I mean, obviously you got compassion and yeah. care. I mean, you're, you're right. showing people, Hey, I care. Like here's care. Like sure. this is a place that you can come and people are genuinely here for your best. They're not here to take from you. They're here to give to you. So, I mean, I know that's, that's one way that we do it is we have that compassion yeah. for people and that compassion comes through in the de- way you deliver the messages. Sure. I, I think then for us, and this is going to sound religious, but Charles Finney said he set himself on fire and let everybody come watch him burn, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think our team just goes all in, and and we just invite invite the presence of the Lord to come. We invite just, you know, and then we just, just tell everybody, come on. No matter what you're dealing with, just come. Um, and that's what we do on Sundays, and, uh, and I really feel like, and then, of course, I'm going to engage their brain. Uh, I just did a series called Thinking Generationally, out of Hebrews 7, um, where Melchizedek has an interaction with Abraham, and the actions of Abraham set off a chain reaction that 100 years downstream, Levi's blessed. And so I started telling people, if we need to start thinking like God thinks, then I'm not just talking to a person. There's a person within the person. The mm. trapped within them are generations that when you reach one person, it gives everybody else downstream a chance. Mm. And then I just engaged their brain. Like, imagine, imagine. And I, I used the illustration of legion in the Bible. Right, we don't. That wasn't his name, but that's what they called him because he had thousands of demons in him. Right, but I said, when he got delivered that day, it says that Jesus told him to go home. That means he had to have a home to go to. So we don't know much about him, but it's not beyond the possibility that he had a family, that he had a wife, that he had kids he hadn't seen in years. And can you imagine? When the kids sat in his lap, or the grandkids, and they said, Grandpa, tell us that story again when you were howling at the moon and eating grass and you were chained up because nobody wanted to deal with you. And he could say to them, I'm so glad you didn't know me then because of Jesus, you'll never know the demonic realm like I did. Mm -hmm. And see, everybody on down will never deal with that because he started a new line. Yeah. Because Jesus understood that it's not just legion he was reaching, but the generation within him. And I, I started to engage people thinking when you, we got to get beyond ourselves. The westernized Christianity, just it, we don't yeah. look beyond our nose. That's right. So when I talk to the waiter, the waitress, it's not the waiter, the waitress I'm talking to, but trapped within them is a generation of people. Wow. And if we can get beyond that, we can start thinking like Jesus. So it's, it sounds like you're saying you inspire people. Absolutely. Like, like, so the way that you help them take off this worldly mentality that's, is to say, hey, what if God... I, I love that you mm-hmm. used the hashtag possible. You're oh, just yeah. saying all it's, the time. it's yep. possible. It's on our walls. It's possible. Yeah. <laughs> With God, all mm-hmm. things are possible. So our new theme on the walls is victory. Mm. And it says a place where all things are possible. Yeah. Mm. So we tell people we don't fight for it, we fight from it. Yeah. That's not a phrase I created. It's out there. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. the truth, though, because of Jesus. And, you know, and I even, I even got to the Jairus' daughter, you know, 12 years old, right? I said, can you imagine when she raised her kids someday? Because I'm sure she had kids. It was, it was Middle Eastern. They all had kids, right? Can you imagine she would have told all her kids, not only that God is good, but she serves a God that can raise the dead. Man. I said, can you imagine those kids' faith when they started? All because Jesus interacted. All because Jesus realized, I'm not just raising her. I'm saving her and all that will follow her. And we got to start thinking like Jesus. Man, It changes everything. I want to jump back to what you were talking about earlier with the presence and marking that in our lives. That's kind of our, right, our, our stream. That's our distinctive. Yeah. 
And yet we don't have the corner of the market. Our our denomination doesn't either of 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 the Godhead <laughs> or the third person of the Godhead. Exodus three thirty three fifteen. Right, if your presence doesn't Absolutely. go with us, and 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 this is a guy trying to get people out of the desert from slavery into a promised land, like us, like portable church. Like all I want is a building, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet, but if your presence isn't there, I'll stay in the gym. Absolutely. How do you foster that personally? And then congregationally, how do you foster the presence? I think even Kerry Newhoff, not that long ago, was on one of his podcasts saying, you know, cool churches everywhere, and you can pull it up on your phone. More entertainment is out there, more... The church can't compete now at this level, and maybe we're not supposed to. And he, Kerry Newhoff, a very seeker, you know, family church saying we have to offer something different and encounter that they can't get otherwise. Amen. And I don't know if he's nailed down it yet, but it's like that's got to be the presence, the presence of God yeah. that's tangible in our midst, in our ecclesia. Yeah. How do we foster There's that? There's an old saying, um, I think it was Pastor Rod Parsley said, the atmosphere of expectancy is the breeding ground for miracles. Mm. And I think that has been a quote that's stuck in my heart for the last 20 years. And so I think if you came into our sanctuary, it says we are expectant. And so we teach that, you know, you get what you expect. And so we stir an atmosphere because we come expectant. Everything we do is built around what would Jesus say to us today? What might he do today? We've seen people get out of wheelchairs. We've seen that. We've gotten reports. I just got a report the other day from online, person with uh stage three kidney issues, went back to the doctor and the doctor said, oh, we must have misdiagnosed you. They sent us the report. So again, we stir that atmosphere and we believe that God's going to do something great. And of course, worship helps. We always foster an environment of worship. So many times in church, we race through the music portion because music is a vehicle. That vehicle is supposed to get us into the presence, but we talk about God, but we never minister to God. And so I make sure our team knows it's cool in the beginning to do the songs that connect people. Most of our people come in late, like every church, and they got coffee, they got donuts, and we understand they're not going to fully engage. They're just coming in from arguing in the parking lot, from, and if it's football season, the Bears are just ticking everybody off, you know, whatever it might be. But by that third song, 17, 18 minutes, 19 minutes in, we want to begin to minister to the Lord. And I can tell you there is a line it begins to happen when we minister to the Lord, and it sets an atmosphere. Atmosphere is so important in any organization. Uh, think of a greenhouse. They plant things in a greenhouse that cannot grow in the wild. And I think when we worship and use singing and get in His presence, it creates a greenhouse. Things that don't happen outside that building will begin to happen, matriculate in the building. It's a greenhouse moment. Atmosphere, whatever atmosphere you have in your home determines what the outcome of your home is. Same thing in your church. So we, we guard that atmosphere. We guard that atmosphere. 24 hours, I don't say 24 hours, but usually seven days a week when the building is open, there's worship going on in our building. We guard that atmosphere. Because we believe there's something powerful about when the people gather. It's the closest thing to heaven, by the way, when we gather corporately and we begin to sing to the Lord. It's the closest thing to heaven. There's no preaching in heaven that, that I know of. You know, I don't see that. In the, I'm, I'm, listen, I I'm, mean, truth is permeating every, every part yeah, of heaven. So yeah, I mean, the atmosphere so, of heaven is truth. Yeah, so I, I just think that when we get together and we start to, in unison, we begin to minister to the Lord. 
We can talk about him. There's so many great songs that talk about him, and I'm all for it. But the moment we talk to him and minister to him, I believe there's an invasion that takes place. And I believe that presence comes and things change. And then we just pause. And then we have at the end of all of our services, we have what we call just a linger time. We don't we dismiss because mm-hmm. people got to get kids and they got to go. I get it. Chicago land, man. People are like, so yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. but then there's a great group of people that just stay around and we invite mm-hmm. them. Maybe you have a few minutes. We do the same. And just, just let them linger. We don't orchestrate anything. We don't direct anything mm-hmm. because I think sometimes I get in the way. I think sometimes we can get in the way because he can do something in a moment and we don't even know what he's doing, but he's doing something in a moment where, you know, we want to microwave God. I really think he's a crockpot God. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I think we need to marinate. I think we need to pause, slow down because everything's so fast. It says, be still and know. I think I always like to say, when you're still, then you'll know. And we don't get still. When I mean mm. still, we don't still this. We put our phones up. I ain't got mine right there. I mean, we just, we're going, going, going. I wonder what would happen if we taught our congregation to be still. Mm. Don't talk, be still. And see what would happen. Man, that's so good. Okay, last question. You're speaking to a room full of leaders. They're teachers, they're preachers, they're small group leaders. These are spiritual leaders that are responsible for equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. You've got five minutes to tell them something. What are you leaving our audience with today? You know, boy, who am I to (laughs) tell anybody anything? Um, I would encourage you to be consistent. I would say, I think one thing the pandemic has done for me, it showed my inconsistencies. And the Lord really, I, I don't know about you, I'm, I wouldn't want to relive these last two years, by the way. You know, and if I could relive it, it would be in a different state. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. Um, New York. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah, yeah. California. I was thinking right. more about California. Seattle. But then I go back and go, no, Lord, you did this on purpose. You allowed this because not everything comes from your hand, but everything has to pass through your hand. So there was a sovereignty piece. And in that sovereignty piece, he worked on me. And I look back and I say, thank you, Lord. Because he revealed to me my inconsistencies, my fears. And I, I came out of that going, boy, what I do matters because I think there's a compounding effect when it comes to things that we do consistency with consistency. And so I would say to every leader, whatever you do, be consistent. Be consistent in your prayer time. Be consistent in your home. Boy, I'm telling you. I saw areas of weakness in my marriage that I didn't know I had. I saw areas of anger in me I didn't know was there. I saw angers of, I'm not anger, I saw, I saw just, just things that I didn't know. It was like the Lord turned the light on, and I'm like, whoa, because I was so busy, I didn't have time for the light yep. to go on, right? But I came back to, if I could sum it all up, put everything in one word, it'd be consistency. Mm. You know, when you get done with everything, they say, well done, you know, that's a big deal. I I just want to be known as a consistent person. I want to be consistent in my leadership, consistent in my speech, consistent with my children. Well, when we all, we got kids. I mean, goodness, Brian's got 17 kids. (laughs) And so, uh, but when we, we we all get off. 13, I know are mine. (laughs) Well, praise the Lord. But we all, well, let's be honest. We, We watched, we've watched over the last two years, pastors fall leaders fall. We've watched churches collapse. We've watched, uh, there's a ton and there's coming. 
the, the data is saying, especially in some ways of God, there's going to be a great big gap of resignations. It's coming, huge, just a big infusion. Yep. When we walk off the stage, it they're gonna they're gonna mourn for about thirty minutes, and then they're gonna be like, "Who's coming?" They'll do our little. We'll have potato salad, fried chicken, and then they're gonna be like, "Let's vote on the next guy," right? But what matters is our family. What matters is our kids, because in the end. That's what we're left with. That's the deposit that we leave behind. And so consistency. I would say be consistent. Be consistent. Be consistent in your prayer time. Boy, the Lord spoke to me about that. Be consistent in your fasting. Don't be sporadic about it. You know, don't get panicky. I just, there's been things I'm like, wow, I got to get better at that. And so I've just implemented just a a constant consistency in certain areas. Consistency in how I think. Consistency Hmm. in what I read. Um, You believe a lie, you empower a liar. And I can't afford those thoughts in my head anymore. Going into 2020, I thought I was strong. And boy, 2020 showed me I had some weak links because he came busting through my brain and in my ears. And so I learned to shore those areas up. Consistency in my thinking, consistency in what I see. There are certain things we don't watch anymore. And I'm not being legalistic by any means. You know, I very little news do I ever turn on. It's just all garbage. It's Amen. all it's just all it's not even news anymore. It's just and even shows. Every show right now has an agenda. It does. Mm-hmm. It's making me sick. I can't my kids are watching this and I'm mm-hmm. like, wait a minute, I spot that. I yeah. know I yeah. was watching a show on the treadmill the other day and it, it was a show on business. And through the conference room, there's this giant mural of a individual I won't name, uh but it's, we would know that person, and they are a whack job. And they weren't talking about them, but it's there so everybody watching can see. And everyone that sees knows who that person is because they're in the national news. And this person is as far out there, anti-church, anti-Christian, anti, you know, the, 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 the family, you know, and it, they're just doing that on purpose. And so, again, I had to get back to say, I can't do that. Consistency, 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 consistency. So that's what I would say. That's so good. Consistency is the key. Listen, Rusty, you have deposited so much. This has been a great, great time, and you're a fantastic leader. And, man, if people need to find you online, how do they find you? What's your handle on Twitter? Where are you at most? Is there a place where you share ideas? Your CB handle? I don't. I, I'm on social media, but I'm terrible at it. I think my name, Rusty Rayleigh, is how you find me on Facebook. I think it's Rusty underscore Rayleigh on Instagram. I'm never on there. Um, JFA.church is our website. Rusty Rayleigh at Gmail or Rusty at JFA.church is my email. Um, well, listen, the stuff that you shared today, I know that you're contemplating possibly writing a book I am, and yeah. getting some things together. I want to encourage our listeners, make sure you're following Rusty so that you can get all of this great content because it has just been fantastic today. Yeah, thank you so much, Pastor Rusty. That was an awesome, awesome word. Tons of wisdom. Make sure to tune in next time when you've done all you know to do. Stand.